Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical fencing instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bring the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. I'm here today with Riri Nitiharjo, who is a historical martial arts practitioner in Jakarta, Indonesia, and who I first met when she came to Singapore for a seminar that I was teaching some many moons ago. So, without further ado, Riri, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Windsor, for having me here. (laughs) You're very welcome. And you know perfectly well that my name is Guy. (laughs) Okay, so whereabouts are you? Oh, well, uh, whereabouts? I'm in Jakarta. And then, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, I think it's it's like it's the biggest city in Indonesia and also the capital city. But but then uh, we are going to move the capital city, so I'm no longer the... Are you? Yeah. Where's it going? It's going to move to another province. So, yeah, but um, yeah, I think that's all. And in, what do you want to know about Jakarta? Well, there's the traffic here, and <laughs> and I, I really wish that one day you could come visit us. <laughs> well, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, how did you get into historical martial arts? Okay, this is going to be a long story. So just feel free to stop me whenever it gets too long. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Yeah. It began. Yeah. Yeah. It began with the forging of the three rings. Three were given to the elves. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. That's a good I'm start. Not, yeah, I'm not going to tell you that <laughs> 12 hours. So, okay, but anyway, the, 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 it has a lot to do with the Lord of the Rings. So one day my friend uh, gave me this book, uh, The Lord of the Rings, because it's like that um, she gave it to me because she asked me whether I like The Lord of the Rings. And I said, what is The Lord of the Rings? And it seems like she couldn't accept the fact that I haven't read that book. I haven't even heard it. So she gave me as a present this 1,000 page of fiction, which I thought was a history based on history (laughs) until I realized. Okay, okay, I think I'm making myself a fool here. Okay, until I realized this is, it's just a fantasy. Okay, so anyway, I got hooked up by the book. It's so much so that I decided to get my master's degree in linguistics. Wow. Yeah, I finally got my 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 what I really want to do uh, for for my my job or my my career, my passion. You know, I I got I enrolled myself to a lingui- uh, to a linguist uh, linguistics program because Tolkien was such a is a is a linguist was a linguist. Yeah, and actually in the uh, interview when the, in the university. They asked me in the interview, they asked me, why did you choose linguistics program? I said, because I read The Lord of the Rings. That's right. (laughs) 
So, but then I got accepted. So I guess uh, they're kind of amused with that answer too. Okay. So anyway, yeah. And then, and what I found in Lord of the Rings is that the swords, the swords there are not just, and it's not just swords. It, the, the story treats the swords like not as just inanimate objects, but it's as an animate. It has characters. Even in, in Silmarillion, one of the swords talk to the wow. owner. Yeah. So, so, and, and there also it's got names and it's got um, a bit history of itself. So, and also when I saw, uh, of course, finally I watched the, the, the movie came and then the way they wield the sword and how the sword is, um, uh, our sword is um, represented there. It's just so beautiful and also the move and then. Okay, maybe uh, just like in one of your writings, you said maybe we start this historical martial arts because you want to fight like Aragorn. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's me. And then, um, yeah, and, and by that time, I didn't even know that there is something called historical European martial arts. I just wanted to learn how to wield a sword, but properly not just swing it around aimlessly or, or trying to look cool, but properly. This is something that uh, I think it's just me. I really want to do something properly, even right. though it's just a fantasy, even though it's a joke, for instance. I want to do it properly. It, it's, it's just me. Yeah. But it's <laughs> okay. not a joke. No? <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's real. It's serious. Yeah. Yeah, it's a serious thing. So, And then... I, of course, I couldn't. There's no way in, in in Jakarta that I could learn that, and I don't want to take up fencing. I mean, like modern fencing, because it's not mm -hmm. it first, and then also it, they got very too serious, you know. Yeah. They want to become an athlete or something, and yeah, and then it just happened that I got a. I'm <clears throat> sorry, I got acquaintance with a friend who knew how to do oh to know uh, who knows Hema so okay yeah and one of it is actually Danny yeah, but then uh, Danny the one that you already interviewed but then he lived in he lives in Bandung it, yeah it's just so far okay. away from me listeners I'm um, really referring to Pradana who is in episode 96 so okay. that's that's Danny yeah that's Danny so We've been so I've been thinking about maybe I just go to Band I could just go to Bandung and then learn how to how learn uh, sword fighting maybe just once a month but then it's still um, unsustainable you know it's expensive it's time consuming etc until I got acquaintance with someone in Jakarta who is actually also a friend of Pradana mm -hmm. and who can teach me so. Then we started a club. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's really, it began from the, with the forging of the rings. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it began with the forging of the rings of power. That is an excellent <laughs> origin story for, for, for any, any swordsmanship practitioner. That's a great origin story. Yeah, so okay, so you started this club in Jakarta. Yeah. And okay. um, yeah, and also Pradana, and also my my, my friend Ari, also a, a, fan, a, a Tolkien enthusiast. So mm -hmm. that's why we named our club Guaithime Gear 
it's based on Sindarin. Okay, I it's a Sindarin I, name means yeah, I mean Fellowship of the Swordsman. So okay, I've read Lord of the Rings and I quite liked it, but I only read it once and it was about twenty years ago. So you're going to have to remind me what is Sindarin. Sindarin is the one of the languages of elves, ah, elfish okay. language. Yeah, there is Teng, there is uh, Quenya and there is Sindarin. Okay, and as a linguist, you're probably quite interested in how they were constructed. Yeah. Well, yeah, feel free to tell us about it. Well, but well, actually, I did want to do something about it in uh, for my thesis, for <laughs> I mean for <laughs> for my graduate thesis, but then. Hey, you have to do real language, not. <laughs> <laughs> but all languages are made up. I know all languages made up. Well, made up by a by a society, by a group yes. of people, though, not by not, one not just, person. Not, not just one <laughs> academic. No. One academic, yeah. So, I did. It crossed in my mind to to uh, really study it, but then, uh, yeah. I have to give in. I mean, not I have to give in, but then uh, since I have to work on to the real language, so yeah. Yeah, and, and you, you had to graduate, right? Yeah, I had to graduate. <laughs> and if they say, well, you have to do it in English yeah. or something, not uh, in yeah. And also, else. no one, no one is ex- uh, no. There's no expert of Sindarin or Quenya in my university or invert in Indonesia. So that is well, <laughs> out of then there is then there's obviously they, a job opening. <laughs> You could be the Indonesian expert in Sindarin. So the, the next person who wants to do an MA thesis in Sindarin has someone who can supervise their work. Perfect. Oh, you just gave me an idea, actually. Well, good. <laughs> okay. Okay, I do, I do have one very serious question. Okay. And that, okay. Um, I have heard legends... Tales, stories about the killer Aerlingus party tree. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about the Aerlingus party tree that actually kills people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Aerlingus party tree that. Yes. Um, uh, uh, how did you come across with this story, by the way? Because I do my research. When I'm okay. interviewing someone, I spend some time. So running around the internet and other places, trying to find out things about them that I can ask the questions about, sort of to, to draw them out, right? Okay. And and one thing I came across is the Aerlingus party tree that kills people. And that seems kills far too interesting people? to... Yes. It killed somebody. Okay. No. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean that tree? That tree. Oh, there are oh. multiple Aerlingus party trees. Oh, yeah, but only yeah. one of them kills people, so they're actually quite safe. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so this party tree, yeah, this is huge tree in Bogor. It's, um, I don't know how it's called in English, but uh, this tree, we really, uh, this is the very first um, party that we had uh, when, when we first, well, Maybe I should explain what Erlingas is. Erlingas is the uh, yeah is uh, the talking society that I found. Mm-hmm. So in Indonesia, it's um, yeah, it's actually I, I forgot when I founded it, but it's somewhere after the third movie, The Return of the Ring, was released, and then I start to 
hey, apparently there are talking societies in other countries, so why don't we make one here in Indonesia? So, yeah. Okay. I founded it. It's a, yeah, and this one, uh, we, we, cut, we um, went to, uh, we wanted to find a place with this, which is quite memorable for this party tree, uh, for, mm -hmm. the, uh, for the, our first party tree. Yeah. So uh, we found it in um, Bogor Botanical Gardens where they have really big, tall, old trees. And there is one tree, I forgot, I don't know how to call it in, in, in English, but it looks very much like the, the trees and the elves. And you could actually, I could imagine that I can, we can build a talan over there and make it like oh, wow. <laughs> the house of the elves. Yeah, so that's the tree. But apparently those trees are old already and there are some one of the rainy seasons, the branch fell off and mm -hmm. it hit, not us, I mean, not, it hit other people who yeah. also uh, host parties. The, apparently, that, that tree was quite uh, iconic, actually, in that botanical garden and a lot of people already um, uh, uh, made some, yeah, have yeah. some parties gathering underneath there because it's mm -hmm. just such a magnificent tree. It's huge. So now that tree was, uh, because it's already old, that tree was cut off. So there is no... Oh, but I, I, I found a photograph of it on the internet and I'll stick that in the show notes so that people can see the tree of me because it is a magnificent tree or it was a magnificent tree. Yeah, it was, it was really magnificent. I don't know. I think it's... I don't know how old. Like, I heard it's 50 years old, even more. 50 years old is not that old for a no yeah, maybe tree. maybe so more I'm, so it looked to me more like two or three hundred years old but no, I, I, I don't no. know I'm not an expert on those trees. no I'm, yeah, okay I don't okay. I don't know how old, how old and anyway that tree is so huge and it's so nice but then yeah they have to chop it down actually yeah, I have to chop it down and uh, yeah we were quite sad about it so no more party tree <laughs> so, <laughs> so we have to move to that well, we, well, there are a lot of big trees in the Bogor Botanical Garden, so we can always pick <laughs> one, the biggest, <laughs> find the biggest one. And there are, yeah, and, and more, and safer one. So. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't really want your party guests getting murdered by the tree. Yeah, exactly. And actually, there's, it happened twice before they finally got wow. down. Okay. Yeah, the boat. The first they thought, or oh, maybe just the top branch, so they yeah. cut the top branch. But then it happened again. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe so, I have a theory. Actually, I have a theory. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that tree was actually an ent, and but it has been like frozen in, in place by some wizard or what have you, and it recognised that one of the people there was actually an orc in disguise, and thought not having that. Boom! Dr. Branch on their head. Oh, that's a good theory, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I could really see those <laughs> trees are kind of endless. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. There are, I mean, so many unseen things in this world, undetected. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, all right, on, on a slightly more sensible ground. Um, now, I know you have a bit of a ballet background. 
could you tell us about how you got into ballet and how ballet is helping with historical martial arts? Okay. Maybe background is a bit... Um, it's not really background because I just started three years ago. Okay. Yeah, when I was like... Uh, I, was, I was 45 back then. And uh, actually, this is also one of my childhood dreams. I've always wanted to do ballet. Right. And then, yeah, so... The, the, the closest thing, before I took the lesson, the closest thing I come to ballet is that I watch the YouTube video and then, you know, right. try to do it. And, and then finally, I, I just, I Googled and apparently there's an adult class. Mm-hmm. There's, an adult, uh, there's a ballet for adults. So it means that anyone without ballet training, without previous ballet training, and it's above above fifteen is eligible. I mean, you can can take that class. So yeah, yeah I did got in, and then uh, the first time I thought, and then I remember the uh, the the access the practice that I did with YouTube, yeah. how wrong they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's everything much how it I works. did was wrong. I thought I did it right, but then yeah. It's not, yeah, and and also that's one thing that I really like about ballet that it is so disciplined and it's, uh, it, it's I will, I will call it head to toe discipline, you know, because you yeah. really have to think about your head and and your your fingers, how to move your fingers and toes, how you point, and apparently, uh, I just learned the true meaning of stretch your leg. <laughs> it's when I do ballet. Yes. So that's, oh uh, yeah, after two years, I finally got, I mean, it's really a slow process for me, taking mm. to do it, finally to do it correctly and that my teacher is happy with my progress. So, okay. yeah. But I, it's very nice to hear this, that you can take up ballet in your 40s and actually get somewhere and progress because we, we sort of get, in many areas, like ballet being one, it's like, well, if you don't start before you're eight years old, you might as well not bother. And maybe if you want to be like prima ballerina for the, I don't know, French National Ballet or something, that may be true. Yeah. But there's but no there's, there's no reason not to start just because you're older than most people start. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, because this is only for fun. I mean, it's not really for your profession. Right. So you're not a professional ballet dancer. After three years of training. <laughs> really? I know. Shame on me. I'm so sorry. I, I, thought, I thought it only took a week. <laughs> shame on me. I know. Uh, yeah, so, so how do you find that your ballet, does it complement the swords or does it contradict it's, them? Or? It's actually complement. And then okay. uh, because there are a lot of footworks there. I mean, how mm-hmm. you strengthen your legs. And then I've been also, I also take some Arabic exercises, but I think with, with, after taking ballet lessons, I feel that I'm more stable very quickly than what I do with regular exercises, like, you know, thigh exercise, legs exercise, with aerobic, mm-hmm. not for sort. I mean, because I realize that I have to strengthen my legs, the, the, okay. the, the entire leg. Yes. <laughs> Not just one part, but for ballet, it's the entire thing. You have to strengthen it. So, and then, yeah, I just found that um, 
Linda, I remember that the f- you told me once that I look wobbly. Did I say that? I yeah, you did st- uh, say that, and then you uh, recommended that I do push-ups to make okay. me more stable. Yeah. So, but then apparently, okay. I- I'm sorry, I still cannot do push-ups. <laughs> I did That's so okay. good, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but then apparently after I did Bali after three years, I feel like I'm more stable. My grounding okay. is more okay. stable, and also um, I'm more balanced. I'm not saying that I reach the perfect balance, no. But I feel like I'm more balanced, and mm-hmm. and also uh, with extension of my leg, my my arms, because in Bali you really have to extend your arms and leg, uh, and also. Well, doing it beautifully, you know, so. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think what kind of wobbliness would lead me to suggest push-ups. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe your, kind of your upper body wasn't very stable. Yeah, uh, my upper body. I, you said that. I mean, that's why okay. my interpretation. I think my upper body is not very stable. And, uh, yeah, actually, I'm not really. I, I really can't keep balance properly you know even when i walk sometimes i do do do, do. i mean <laughs> <laughs> move there move left and right so, yeah so okay. but with yeah but with ballet i feel like i'm more firm now with my mm-hmm. footing and also my range of motion is well, that getting would, better that should improve the ballet yeah yeah my range of motions and not just range of motion, but that I can move my leg without being, you know, getting unstable, you know. It's mm. very firm. By the way, have you listened to my interview with Anna Beard yes. on this show? Okay. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, she, I she, does, she does ballet yeah, but, and yeah. it's episode 87 for listeners who haven't, haven't looked, looked at it yet. But, um, okay, so, so I mean, she was making the point that Ballet training is fundamentally useful for swords, and you know I have no reason to dispute her. It's like, but it's nice, nice to hear you saying basically the same thing that. Yeah. It's good for and actually, and I didn't, I strength. didn't even connect it at first. I thought it is just, I mean, I just want to do. I, I do, I do sword, I do uh, sword fighting, and I do ballet. Mm-hmm. It's just not no connection. But yeah, there is one thing. I mean, when I smack a person in the head I want to do it gracefully so I, th- I <laughs> ballet can also help me do that <laughs> we, should, we should that. maybe we should maybe title this episode smacking people in the head gracefully gracefully <laughs> <laughs> yeah excellent okay so um, are, you, are you planning on inflicting your ballet training on your training partners in your fencing club? I, I tried. Yeah, I tried. I mean, I tried to do it. I mean, I never really tried, but I was thinking about it. But I don't know how I incorporated into this training because I'm myself still learning and also maybe not everyone is into it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I have a suspicion that it would be good for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> right. It'll teach them a little humility. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, yeah. Actually, no, I, 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 I'm sorry, you first. No, 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 you, you go ahead, you go ahead. 
Yeah, actually, I've been keep I've been telling them how hard it is to train ballet, and that you should never underestimate ballet dancers because you need the training. It's so hard. Yeah, this head to toe dedication. Yeah, that's what I want to say. <laughs> this head to toe dedication. You really have to dedicate it. All the muscles in your body. So I thought it's also go, uh, will be good. And actually, wow. I I challenged them to do the first positions. And okay. when they okay. thought they could do it, I said, "No, your leg is not. Your legs are not straight. No, you should straight. Okay, and then do this." And they said, "Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, but point your 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 uh, toe." And they start screaming. <laughs> <laughs> That's good for them. Yeah, lift your leg 45 degrees. Okay, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, then point your toe. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember a long time ago, one of my students who had a background in capoeira. Um, yeah, okay. She's quite, she's quite small, like short, um, and she was just moving up to the advanced class, and I thought. Yeah, because it was mostly sort of roughy-tufty boys and what have you. And I thought, you know what? I'll just get her to t- do the warm-up, right? And I sort of had a quiet word with her before I was saying, you know, really run them into the ground, I said. And so there she was cheerfully doing sort of her capoeira stuff and her you know, emphasizing abs and movement or whatever. And this, this room full of supposedly advanced swordsmen were like, squealing and crying and failing to do it and there she was cheerfully saying oh and now do it on one hand <laughs> right and 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 what it did what it did is it completely eliminated the possibility of any one of those boys thinking that she didn't belong in the class mm-hmm. oh because okay she, she she had just destroyed the lot of them <laughs> right and it was great no, yeah, no, no problems integrating her into the class. It was great. Maybe, maybe you should do a kind of like a ballet hazing for the uh, sword, sword yeah, chaps in Jakarta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, but the thing is, no one in my club thought that I didn't deserve to be there. I mean, no, no, I sure, founded sure. it for God's sake. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I founded it, so, yeah. But it's, it's good... It's good to push people out of their comfort zones every now and then. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I also think that, well, one day I'm going to challenge them again and seems, they seem to be like, okay, let's do this. Let's do this <laughs> first. Let's try the first position first. I mean, because honestly, like that sort of ballet turnout... Yes, the turnout. ...is absolutely essential... If you're yes. going to be doing rapier or small sword, or you, know, yeah. you don't need it, you don't need it for the medieval stuff so much. But certainly, f- although for some of the medieval stuff, there are indications that you do need that ability to kind of rotate the whole leg at the hip and turn the toe out for some of these sort of steps that we see illustrated. Um, and yeah, most modern people simply can't do it because the leg, their legs just don't turn that way. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think it's actually a useful skill. Yeah. Yeah, I've been also trying to do exercises to improve my turnout. Uh-huh. It hurts. <laughs> it really does. It hurts like hell. I mean, I, I, I couldn't 
get up for like 15 minutes. It hurt so much. <laughs> I, and so hurt that I started questioning my life choice. <laughs> <laughs> why am I doing this? Who am I trying to impress? No one but me. I mean, why? <laughs> well, I'm impressed. <laughs> Okay, Let, let's just move on from valleys just a little bit. Um, we can always come back to it. Now, regulars may have heard my interview with Pradana, Danny, um, but it was a little while ago, about 10 weeks, and he told us something about historical martial arts in his part of Indonesia. How do you see things growing in Jakarta? How, what is the... What does the culture there look like? Okay, first of all, um, people still think this is weird. This martial art, it's still weird, okay. but weirdly cool, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, people still um, uh, think this is, yeah, this is not something that is usual, because especially that when you see the feather and how this looks like and and to be honest, a lot of people are still mistaken this feather from katana. And oh, also, really? Yeah. Well, people keep saying, Woo, she's carrying a samurai. <laughs> Not <God>. katana. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And also, yeah, but the, and also there's a group who thought that I was, I, I carry a crucifixion. A, a crucifix. crucifix. A crucifix. Wow, yeah, sorry. Okay. Not cruci- yeah. crucifix, yeah, I carry a crucifix of it, and and I remember there's one lady in the bus mm-hmm. asked me, "Are you a Catholic?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, because you have to understand. I mean, I wear a headscarf, and this means this shows that I'm a Muslim. Yeah. But then she was so perplexed to see this thing that I carry. It looks like Catholic a crucifix. Catholic nuns wear a version of a headscarf but not like the way I wear it no true they have <laughs> this uniform so that poor lady looks so so confused and said no no I'm 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 a Muslim and this is this is a, a toy sword <laughs> a toy sword oh god yeah I, I keep telling that it's a toy sword I mean uh, yeah I teach this is for the kids okay that, that's a good way of sort of undercutting any tension yeah this is for kids you usually say that what what i use at airports sometimes if they ask is um stage combat so so so, you know theater like shakespeare like Macbeth and hamlet sword fights and these are the swords we use for those sword fights so they're just stage props yeah right which is I mean, they can be used as stage props, so it's not technically a lie, but... <laughs> no, it's not but really it a lie. It, it frames it in a way that makes them comfortable with them. They're not, they're not this weird external thing they don't know anything about and that are risky and dangerous and weird. They're not weapons. They're this, no, yeah. They're this comfortable thing that is just for show. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, because the type of the weapon is also weird. Because uh, we are very familiar with the type of small swords. It's like when you use in uh, kung fu. Uh, what is mm-hmm. the yeah? 
In Wushu, Wushu, yeah. Okay. Silat, yeah, or silat or whatever. But but this type of sword is really strange for for the public. Uh, they haven't, they've never seen that. Probably only on movies, but never seen uh, real life. So yeah, that's the thing. I mean, interestingly, that uh, or the young people thought it was katana, mm-hmm. but it's actually the older people who thought it's a crucifix. <laughs> Maybe maybe you should get a little bottled Jesus and like tie it to your sword, <laughs> or an action man. Get an action man and, and, and action. tie it to your sword. Say, yes, yes. <laughs> Let's is... mess up with their mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's mess up with their heads a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's maybe not the best idea we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, I mean, well, this is. I mean, I understand this because this is not usual. This is uncommon. But the thing is, the, um, in terms of him, myself, in Jakarta, it is actually growing. We keep uh, having new members. Good. And, and some of them actually, just like me, already heard Hima, try to find it, and then Google, and then our club names appear. So, right. That's nice. Yeah, so whenever we ask, where, where did you... How did you learn about us? From social media, or we googled you? Okay, there is. I, I, is yours the only club in in Sorry? Jakarta? Is yours the only historical martial arts club in Jakarta? Um, martial historical martial arts. Well, there is another one. It's quite new. Um, okay, but there's only two. But there's another one actually in Surabaya. It's in East Java. Okay. And they're also, uh, I think they're also growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of this, yeah, I think we can see that we are growing, not not fast, I mean, not a big growth, but people start to recognize it. And actually, we were on TV a couple of times. Oh, that's cool. On national How did that happen? Yeah, and also newspapers. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. How did that happen? Well, they Googled us. Somehow they found us. And another one is because uh, one of the TV shows is a variety show where they uh, go around Jakarta and see what kind of activities that people do in the parks. And at that time, we just happened to have our practice. Oh, cool. Our practice session. So they just uh, recorded on the spot. Wow. So, yeah. My, 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 one of my neighbors said, is that really? When I was called my mom, I said, I thought I saw your daughter on TV. <laughs> is that really her? I said, yeah, yeah, that's her. So. <laughs> Excellent. Um, now, okay, we should maybe just start back a little bit. And you wanted to do historical martial arts. And you met someone who was also interested in doing the same thing. And so you just decided to start a club. Now, one of the most common questions I get asked is, uh, there's no club near me. What should I do? I don't really know very much about historical martial arts. Da, 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 da. What should I do? And I always say start a club. And they're always like, but I'm not, I'm not like trained and qualified and all of that sort of stuff. So I can't possibly start a club. Um, so it's actually, I think, useful for people to hear how you without like years and years of training and you know i don't know 
professional teaching qualifications in historical martial arts or any of that sort of stuff because they don't even exist. Um, how you just set about starting a club? Okay, it's a little bit uh, difficult here because first of all, well, you have to have to have source to learn it, right? At first. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, most of the sources are in English. Right. So, and uh, even though there are a lot of people who speak English in Indonesia, but maybe not to the extent that they want to really read it from a book. And yep. second, there is always a possibility that you interpret it wrong. Just like when I tried to do ballet from YouTube. Right. And I ended up getting everything wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for me, I don't know. I mean, you can always try, but one thing that I just read a lot, not just from YouTube, but also you can also discuss it now because nowadays also it's easier for us to communicate long distance, like to remote, mm -hmm. maybe if they want... Maybe if they want to start a club first, really study it and then discuss it with the people that who really, who's been um, doing it for quite some time. It's like Pradana is a good source. Okay. Uh, in, because he reads a lot. What I mean a lot is like a lot. Yeah, yeah, sure. I've spoken <laughs> to him. I know you read a lot. <laughs> but, okay, but leaving aside the sort of the technical fencing training stuff, like the specifics of actually starting a club. So what uh -huh. do you do to start a club? Maybe you do it like me, as a friend to teach me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so you, you, you had a friend who you could, who had some experience or whatever, and you could get started that way. But you started a club, and people are joining the club and whatever. So oh, okay. you, you, went, you went from being two people who are whacking each other with swords into actually starting a club. How did that happen? Oh, okay. How did that happen? I think it's just... Did, uh, how did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? I also, well, you must have decided. Uh, sorry? You must have decided at some point to start a club. Yeah, we decide, I decided to start a club. And when I, I remember when I first Ari, I, I kind of pestering him, you know, mm -hmm. badgering him to please teach me, please <laughs> teach me this. I want to be able to wield a sword like Aragorn. And so we finally started and then um, and we spread the words around to found some of our friends. So, hey, mm -hmm. we are going to start this, so let's join. Actually, at that time, we, what we did was just let's start first. We didn't even think how it's going to be in the future. Right. I mean, and to be honest, I myself didn't, I didn't think that we could have gone this way. Like, we finally managed to have our uh, feathers, the steel, which is difficult mm -hmm. to get because we have to import it. And then we finally slowly getting this gear equipments and then people start, we, we keep adding members, people start finding us and then they get interested. So I think, yeah, I think the first thing is that you have to have enough love to do it from okay. you. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. yourself, you have to be really dedicated. 
for it. So you can't expect, let's say, your friend to wait for your friend to join you. If, if you are already dedicated, usually you find your way and then you find someone to, to share your passion with. We just start first. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, if I was on my own training in a park somewhere, people will come up and ask me about stuff. And if I wanted to, we could pretty quickly get a club together just by training on my own in a park to start with. <laughs> right? So I, I think you're right. But So at what, at what point did you, did you like formally, legally incorporate a club with paperwork and all that sort of stuff? Okay, we don't have paperwork, some stuff, to, until now this is still very <laughs> informal. Okay, good. We don't even right. take, we don't even give, pay, uh, charge our members. It's all free of charge. But uh-huh. you have to buy your own your equipments. Because we realize that if we charge people, it means that uh, people would expect that we are experts. But let's face it, okay. we're not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> if we so start, uh, yeah, so if you start been charging this for quite people, a while. Yeah, it's been that- quite a while. Actually, um, last week, we, uh, on, on 7th February, was our anniversary. I think it's our 5th or 5th. 5th year anniversary. 5th okay. year. Okay. okay, I just want to flag this up for the listeners and those who are like, oh, but they're so... Okay, you've been going for five years as a totally informal club with no paperwork, no dues, nothing. No, nothing. Okay. Right, and you were kind of skipping over that bit, but actually that's really interesting because a lot of people have in their heads that the only way to do this is to basically start a legal club, you know, like a um, non-profit making organization or a company or something like that and have all of this sort of massive infrastructure in place and it all gets very affiliated. But you're basically just a group of people who like getting together in a park and whacking each other. Yes, yeah. Excellent. And it's been going for five years. Yes, it's been five well, that, years and we are growing. Actually, I was surprised myself. Okay, so and this is without any legal or financial structures in place? No. Perfect. Right, okay. That's actually quite huge. Really? Right, yeah. Okay. Because, <laughs> because there is this very common sort of I think it's driven by the litigious society in America and the sort of legal culture in Britain where everyone's concerned about liability, everyone's concerned about getting sued, everyone's concerned about having insurance and all that sort of stuff. And that stops them from just getting together with their friends and having fun. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, and so, but it's really helpful, I think, to have this kind of clear example of a club that's growing, that's been doing really, really nicely, it's been going for five years, and there is no, no legal paperwork of any kind. No. Uh, probably it's also because, yeah, maybe because also this, this culture in Indonesia that we, you do it, you, uh, I mean, do it at your own risk, you know. Just do whatever, okay. do it at your own risk. You got smack, you got bruise, uh, you want that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Like, yeah. When I started my club in or my school in fin- in Finland, I never once took out any insurance for it. 
Because the thing is, in Finland, if you go to a sword fighting club and you get your arm broken and you go to court to sue somebody because you got your arm broken, the judge is going to look at you and went, you were doing sword fighting and you got your arm broken and you're complaining to me why exactly? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so uh, I, I, I have never carried any insurance, which freaks people out in Britain and America and all the Finns think it's completely normal. Yeah, I mean, if you want to have your insurance, you arrange your own insurance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, I, I very mean... much enjoy the culture in Jakarta somehow. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're very flexible. <laughs> particularly after all that ballet. What? Sorry? Well, you're particularly flexible after all that ballet, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get your leg up here. Yeah. Um, okay, now... As you're probably aware, I have a couple of questions that I um, tend to ask my guests. And the first of those is, and this this could be in any area, what is the best idea you haven't acted on? Yeah, what well, is the best idea I haven't acted on? Um, I Well, okay, I don't know if it's the best, but I've been thinking about, you know, maybe starting a blog or something about doing things when you are already 40 years old. I mean, doing something, just like do ballet, take up this sword fencing. I mean, I do it in, in, in my 40s. Right. You know, because um, actually, uh, I feel physically better in my 40s than in my 20s. People will keep saying, oh, I miss my 20s. I was so strong. And it, it's not me. I mean, in my 20s, I was so lousy. I mean. I was not fit. I was so weak. Okay. I couldn't carry heavy things without getting sick the next day. And then um, I got sick a lot. And uh, especially during my high school. And I got sick quite a lot. And um, there's to the point that my friend didn't want to hang out with me. Oh. Yeah, because they thought, I let's not invite Riri because we don't know if she would get sick suddenly. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think for me, I'm sorry if I feel so, if I sound to be a big headed by saying this, but I kind of proud of myself because Good. now I've got, I've got muscles. Um, you couldn't, you can't see it, but I, sh- I promise you, I've got muscles <laughs> on my arms and also on my legs. And yeah, so, and also this, I don't know, this is also the kind of uh, mindset in, in your country, but in Indonesia, once you start hitting 40, you start preparing your own funeral, you can say. Start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're old now, uh, you have to think about death, now you're going to die. Yeah, surely we are going to die, but who says this is because of old age? A lot of people died right after they were born, or after they were born, right? Sure. A lot of babies were died right after born, or a lot of people died young, and so, yeah, why, why we... Some some of my friends said, yeah, we have to think about uh, our, uh, one day we are going to die. Yeah, one day, what if it's the next 20 years? Right. What if I mean, you it, die in 80 years old? What are you going to do 
yeah. before <laughs> that. I mean, you, you could die today, absolutely, but it's likely that you'll be you'll still be here in forty years' time. Yeah, it's also likely. Right? So, yeah. so you might as well do what you want to do now. Yeah, and yeah. do your best to kind of have yeah, fun in the next forty years. Yeah, like. Exactly. And if, let's say, I die tomorrow, I, I die, can say I, saw, I, I learned swords and yeah, I and can they, do ballet. They can, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and at your funeral, they can have your ballet slippers and your sword. So, yes, exactly. Right, absolutely. I should start arranging my funeral right there. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a... Okay, I think, I think, I think long ship, Viking long yeah. ship, burn it. Right, so you're on on the ship with your sword and your ballet slippers, and and get get your friends who do archery to shoot fire arrows into the ship, and off it goes. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, but as a Muslim, I have to be buried. Oh, fine, okay, and then be buried with your sword. Yeah, take it with you. Well, actually, my friend already got a dip on my uh, got a dip on my sword. When you die, these swords <laughs> go to me. <laughs> Make sure you put it in your will. Ah, okay. Then I've got a brilliant idea. Then yes. you should buy a really nice sword for you uh-huh. to train with and for you to be buried with later. Your friend can have these other ones and you have to buy yourself right now a really nice sword just in case you need to get buried in it tomorrow. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Perfect excuse to buy a sword. You need something decent to get buried in. Yeah, I'm buried with my sword and then my tutu skirt and my belly slippers. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and, and in 500 years' time, archaeologists are going to be really confused. <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. It's like, the, the tutu and the sword, it's like, that'd be very, yeah, excellent. I, I, and I think, honestly, living a life in such a way as to confuse future archaeologists is probably a good way to live. <laughs> Yeah, so. Brilliant. Okay, so, so you're going to start a blog about taking up interesting pursuits in your 40s. Yeah. Or 50s uh, or even 60s though or 70s. when you are even though when you are actually not fit because I wasn't right. fit. Yeah. I wasn't fit. I mean so unfit. I uh, I remember once I was in um in a gym and my friend uh, we both do a treadmill and then my friend said oh I can't do more than 15 minutes I haven't done any exercises before and I was like you haven't done any exercises before and you could do 15 minutes on on treadmill I said yeah well I could only do 5 minutes (laughs) (laughs) that was already (laughs) I was already out my breath I thought I was dying you know but then after couple of years consistently I mean uh, I also build it up really slowly you know it's not sure. like right away not after three months no that's impossible after years I suddenly realized that I could do uh, I could run on a treadmill for 15 minutes and I wasn't out of a bright breath there you go yeah I stopped it because it was bo- because it was boring Quite right. I mean, I don't do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea how long I would last on a trip. Yeah, jogging also it's, it makes me boring. So it, it makes me realize apparently you just train uh, just according to your pace because a lot of people like trying to push themselves. And also gone a little bit um, 
annoyed when my friend said, only five minutes, come on, you can do more. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you don't live in this body, dude. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, you can start to blog about being like completely unfit and untrained or what have you and in your 40s and actually getting into things like sword fighting and ballet. I think that's a brilliant idea. I think you should do it. I don't know. I think it takes too much time. Okay. That's yeah, why fair. I haven't acted on it because it's just something that I thought, you know, maybe just to encourage people or in my 40s because like, like I said when, when I don't know about in, in your country but Indonesia again apart from being uh, preparing their fu- starting preparing their funeral they start to feel that they are weak mm. it's like oh, now I cannot climb the stairs anymore I think because it's old I said no because you don't because you don't uh, you don't exercise right I mean if you're 90 and having difficulty getting upstairs it might be because yeah. you're old But if you're 40, it's because you haven't been exercising. You haven't been exercising. That's why. Yeah. And I also, and sometimes uh, I also tell that how I broke my body left and right, uh, left and right when I started doing ballet. You know, I hurt my knees once. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't get up the stairs without my knee hurting, so I had to put on a brace for like one month. Uh, people hey. started thinking. Yeah, that's because you're old. And I said, no, that's no. because I'm weak. Right. My, yeah, because I'm weak. My body is not trained for this. Right, but you can train your body for you it and not be weak can, anymore. Yes. Yeah, it's miraculous, isn't it? You can train the body and, say, and you can, it's not weak anymore. Right, and the thing is, you, there's nothing you can do about the passage of time. You're going to get older no matter what you do. But it's entirely yeah, it's, up to you whether you exercise. Exactly. Yeah, and just it, do small exercises. For instance, I start, I also weight, uh, weightlifting, uh, do mm-hmm. the weight exercise. I start with one kilograms of dumbbell. Excellent. That's a good, good starting one weight. One kilograms. And after a, year, a couple of years, and suddenly yesterday, I started with four kilograms. There you go. That two kilo, I, I mean, start with one and then two kilograms, and then I start. And then uh, yesterday, I tried. Uh, I do weightlifting again. And I thought, hey, this two kilogram is just too light. I mean, I don't even feel it anymore. Excellent. So I do four kilograms. So, I mean, it's slowly, gradually, well, but there is progressing. Yeah, very clearly. And very the jump clearly. from one kilo to two kilos is a hundred percent improvement. Yeah, and two kilos to four kilos. Is another That's a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I I think you're right. That there's there's a sort of like fatalism about oh well I'm getting older. There's nothing I can do about that, so I might as well just not bother. Whereas in fact, if you just do something about it, yes, you're still going to get older, but you can yeah. add strength and you can add flexibility and you can be fitter and healthier and stronger and you can swing swords around whatever age yeah exactly so I guess yeah so when my friend said yeah I can't do this again because I'm we are in radio on our 40s and I was like uh-huh. you see me got bitten by the boys with the steel swords <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, that's kind of exercise that I took. And did you try ballet? <laughs> kind of, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I kind of a little bit cocky. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> All right, okay. Now, my last question. So, you've been in the historical martial arts scene for five, six years now. And, so, and you sort of pay attention to what's going on around you, obviously. If somebody gave you, like, if I gave you a million dollars, which I don't have, to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide, how would you spend the money? How I would spend my money? Um, okay, that is a tough question. Uh, is this one thing that I come across in my mind? This is actually something that when I... Uh, went to Malaysia and Singapore that um, I couldn't bring my own steel okay. to the country because it's clearly said that we can't bring even a toy sword uh, yeah. to that. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe if we can lobby the countries to allow equipments as a sports equipment. Okay, so to lobby the governments in... Your part of the world to recognise historical martial yeah, arts. Yeah, recognise as, as sports equipment. As sports equipment. So that you don't have all these legal restrictions on owning and using swords. Yes, yeah. Because That's it's a good idea. Yeah, because I want to. Uh, when I go to to countries for that, for Singapore or Malaysia, I want to bring my own, you know, so we don't have sure. to take turns. I mean, the, the, the clubs, some, some of the clubs have excellent uh, collection of weapons that we don't mm -hmm. have to wait for somebody to turn. But, you know, still, it's, it's nicer that if you bring your own steel, right? Yeah, and it's also, if the activity is legally recognized and its equipment is legally accepted yeah. as a legitimate thing to have, mm -hmm. then... It also opens the door to all sorts of other things, like yeah. maybe if you need to rent out a hall for a yeah. seminar or something, and you go to the hall owners and say, look, we're having this activity, da, 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 and they can see that it's a, something that's recognized by the government as a, as a legitimate thing to be doing. So there's no, there's no concerns about you know, letting a bunch of lunatics with swords run around your expensive training facility oh no no these are these are the people who we yeah so I mean do sport fencers have trouble moving their foils in and out of the country well actually I don't know but since they already have their own federations like national federation there's a representation of fencers so I think it's a lot easier to carry around the the okay. uh, the sabers yeah what yeah. about in your part of your country is it or is HEMA already recognized as a sports no and, and things we don't have any particular problems like the the only places I've had difficulty traveling with swords where I've actually been is Singapore I just don't take swords there because you have to have a license to bring the sword into the country and you get into all sorts of problems if you don't and Victoria State in Australia mm -hmm. when entering Australia direct to Melbourne if I'm taking swords with me I have to have paperwork with me saying that I'm a legitimate member of a club in Victoria that are basically proving that 
Uh, and these sores are going to be held in accordance to these laws and, you know, looked after in this particular way and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a whole load of bullshit, really. Um, but so those are the only two places where there have been any restrictions. In America, they don't care. In Britain, they don't care. I've, I've flown swords in and out of Britain and the rest of Europe and America and stuff. And it doesn't blow up, so they don't care. <laughs> okay. Right. And it's not drugs, so they don't care. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it poses no risk to anybody. It doesn't pose any risk to the aircraft. And it doesn't pose any risk to, you know, the, they're not illegal weapons. Um in the way that guns are res- legally restricted. So, yeah, I've not had a problem with it. But then these days I travel with just hand luggage anyway. Because everywhere I go there are swords. And so, you know, the, the stress and hassle of carrying the bloody things from one place to another, it's like, you yeah, know, why bother? There's going to be swords I can borrow when I get there. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, also, yeah, also, um, it's because I remember in the first, our first, uh, my first workshop is in Malaysia, and we have also visitors from Philippines, so apparently in Southeast Asia, this mm-hmm. port is already garnered some audience, so. Sure. Yeah, so probably, we should. I mean, in Southeast Asia, I mean, we should do uh, maybe uh, if we have this million, billion, millions of dollars, like lobbying the country saying that first this is, a, or maybe in my own country, that this is a sword, this is not a crucifix. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a samurai sword either. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not samurai. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, so just get a recognition that this is a sport. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be uh, to the extent that we can get uh, government funding because usually with funding comes other things that is... Strings attached. There are strings attached that's not really nice strings usually. (laughs) Yeah. So just give a recognition so that we can carry our, uh, our gears... Say, uh, okay. without. Mm. So maybe a, a Southeast Asian Federation of Historical Martial Arts. We don't have that kind of federation. No, 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 no but, but like <laughs> use the money to create this federation. Yeah, to create to lob- something. Which can then lobby the various governments to say, yeah. look, this is a legitimate activity. These are not weapons carried by lunatics in the street. So it's all quite safe. Honest, Gov. <laughs> it would. <laughs> Yeah, something okay, like that. Interesting. I, I, yeah, you're the first person I think who's thought of using it to make it legal to bring weapons into the country. Because again, in large chunks of the world, it isn't an issue. But it's nice to nice to sort of shed a spot, uh, shine a spotlight on that particular issue over in like, Singapore and Malaysia. Okay. Well, that was an awkward what? pause. <laughs> yeah, what, what happened? You were thinking of something? I mean, yeah, you, yeah, never I thought that it, you never thought that we had this kind of problem? Or? No, no, I, I, knew, I knew about the kind of problem, but you're, you're the first one of my guests to mention using the imaginary money to address that specific issue. 
Yeah. Which is interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I really like to travel, to go to, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then carry it around in peace. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Riri. It's been lovely talking to you. Yes, likewise. It's been nice to be, it's been nice. It's a nice interview. Nice talking to you too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Riri. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can sign up to my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon for their kind support of the show. It lets me know that you care about the show and want it to continue. The show costs me quite a bit of money to put together, particularly paying for things like transcriptions and hosting, all that sort of thing. And so every little bit helps to keep the show on the road. So you can join us there for behind the scenes content and to submit your questions for future guests. That's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. Thanks as always to Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. Join us next week when I'll be talking to Anthony Richard, who is a blacksmith, historical martial arts practitioner and proprietor of Black Armory, one of the largest suppliers of historical martial arts gear in Europe. We get into the weeds in some fascinating areas, including architectural restoration work that he was doing as a blacksmith, as well as you know how you, set up, how you go about setting up an enormous historical martial arts supplier. Top tip, it all started with a jacket. So, you don't want to miss that, so subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show, and if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>